Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time for about. Mortgage Matters. Well, hi and good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us today. The uh, stick arounds from the Jeff Bradley Show. Dan, you got a weird look. Do I sound funny? No, you, sa- you sound great. Oh, good. Okay. You sound great. I think my ears sound funny. We bought Dan new headphones. Oh, is that what so it is? So maybe they need a little adjusting. Upgrade. Just got to yeah. break them in. I'm feeling pretty bassy in here i feel like i'm like i'm on a lot of cold medicine or something need more trouble see what we can do yeah, yeah i feel bassy too huh all we'll right. work it out we'll work it out new headphones takes a little bit of tweaking all right that's all why right. we brought the big dogs in the big guns yeah hey so uh last november show next week we're gonna do a replay for thanksgiving you can take some time out go see the family Cut some turkey. I don't really like turkey at all, actually. In fact, I don't even eat turkey. Wow. Gonna... What's wrong with you? Yeah, <laughs> my <laughs> thoughts exactly. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like turkey's kind of nasty. My, it... my perplexion is dark meat, white meat. Uh, yeah. I... Turkey is all this. Both? It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> Both. I usually, I'll smoke a tri-tip or something. What? You know. Yeah. Oh, Dude. On. It's more uh, about getting everyone together. You don't have to eat that nasty bird. No, oh, like. Eat that nasty! I eat that nasty bird for three, four days in a row until that's it's half gone. the problem with it. No, that's that. that's the beauty of it. Causing some intestinal crack. There are a few holidays that come around, like like St. Patrick's Day mm-hmm. and and Thanksgiving, where I I cook and I eat and I I'm like, wow, that was amazing. That was such a great meal. Why don't we cook this meal more often? And I kind of know why on the turkey because it takes six to eight hours. So you're to cook. telling me that you eat the the corned beef thing too? Oh yeah, oh, corned beef and cabbage. Boy. Oh, it's so Easter. good, and it's easy. You got your Easter ham. Uh, yeah. Man. But see, I yeah. ham actually works its way into the need ham year yeah. round the rotation throughout the okay. year. But for whatever reason, corned beef and cabbage and no. that that's a once a year thing. And corned beef, that's brisket, right? You put that in the smoker too. <laughs> you can. I think all the holidays are supposed to have smoked meat with it. I might smoke a turkey one of these there days. You go. Maybe I'll like that. See, that's that's a good thing to do is you do one more traditional in the oven and do one We still do in a different it. Style. I just don't like it. I eat the whatever I smoke instead. That's better. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe it's just the country in me. <laughs> we got a guest coming in for the middle hour here. We have uh we have Eric Ferrangi coming and um he's the guy from Hague quality water always fun to talk to you know is he has a vanity plate on his car that says water snob i didn't would you expect anything less now that you say it it makes perfect sense i wasn't here when um the last time he was on the show you did that with him i did you're in for a treat this guy i know you've talked to him so you you know what he's all about but eric knows his business Inside and out, frontwards and backwards. He knows everything there is to know about water. A true expert. It's it's awesome. This guy, and it actually, he kind of dresses it up. It's fun to talk about. 
Kind of sounds like you've been drinking the water. <laughs> <laughs> you have the little rim shot. Dude, <laughs> no. All right. There is a, a kind of a, a fair amount of economic data this week, though. Lots to get through, so we'll have good time in this first segment and the next. Um, in the middle, you know, we're going to talk about water. So before that, what do you say we dive on in, Dan? Let's do it. Boy, where to start? So much interesting stuff. Um, first of all, uh, the week this week was... A lot of pretty strong economic data. I felt kind of surprised. And um, I think we were set up, man. I feel like it was a setup. This government shutdown thing was supposed to ruin everything. Now I sit here wondering, uh, did the government shutdown actually impact anything besides just make people resent the government a little bit more? <laughs> Hard to say. But... Um, so much of the data that came out was expected. Everything was sort of tempered with this idea that it was going to be slightly lackluster because of the government shutdown. And, and boy, could that just not have been uh, any more opposite. Um, let's see here. First of all, a little bit of housing stuff. What do you think about housing? You tease me with the employment and you don't want to develop that a little we could do employment a little bit yeah sure i thought there was some news that came out of that i mean this came out last friday two fridays ago the well october stats came out two fridays yeah, that ago showed, that reflected the shutdown yeah right so yeah we know that our unemployment rate moved up a little bit we're sitting at 7.3 percent but that's because more people are optimistic out looking for jobs right sure we know that we added 200,000 jobs. Here's a few other little stats about employment that I thought I'd share. Employment, the unemployment rate fell in 28 states last month, and employers added jobs in 34 states. So that, those numbers, the number of states that are showing improvement in these metrics is, is getting better. It's getting stronger as we've gone through this um, recovery 11 states only 11 states showed employment's rate unemployment rates rising california or no no no, california actually went down um and 11 states showed had unemployment rates stay the same how many of those 11 states are the ones that are super cold and like getting wintry already <laughs> i don't know that Imagine i don't it's got to play some effect well i don't know North Dakota is one of those cold states, and they have the lowest unemployment rate in the country at 2.7%. Doing what? Mining? I don't know. But don't they have the sparsest population, too? Probably. I, I think... Is that... I don't know if that's has anything to do with that, but... That could be. It could be. I don't know how they, how they factor that in. I imagine it all comes out in the wash, though, because you got more people, you need more services. You got less people, you need less services. So somewhere in there, it probably comes out. That's interesting. So North Dakota is a standout. That's funny. We don't talk about North Dakota too much. Nevada continues to set the bar low. Um, they have the highest unemployment rate at nine point three percent, although that's an improvement. Which is wild to me because Nevada, and that must just be as a whole, but Nevada's doing more 
real estate resells per month than any other state by a lot. What surprised me, if Nevada's the got the highest unemployment in the country at 9.3%, California is not that much better. No? California is at 8.7%. That's the rate? 8.7% unemployment. However, employers in California added nearly 40,000 jobs last month, and over the past year, California is second to only Texas in total jobs created. Call it a comeback, man. So California, doing all right. That's good. Good to see creating some jobs. Tying into the the jobs metrics, we had uh, initial jobless claims again on Thursday. Comes out every week. Can be viewed as the snoozer dependable stat, but it's been a good one to watch lately. Initial jobless claims this week fell by 21,000. Um, that number was kind of a surprising one and the labor department said it may have something to do with the fact that veterans day was on a monday um, so just less people because the offices to go get your unemployment were closed to sign up perhaps uh you know out of hey out of five available days to sign up if you take away one of them that's 20 percent. so would you expect to see that number fall by some metric Probably, although I got to imagine Tuesday was just a pretty busy day in there. Okay. Uh, but at any rate, it's a it's a good number. That was a strong number, um, falling, dragging that the, the um, four week average down too. So that's that's always a good thing. Um, we are coming up on a fairly critical time for the folks who apply for those jobless benefits and receive those jobless benefits. Um, Unless Congress does something, during the last week of December, an estimated 1.3 million people will lose access to an emergency program providing them with additional weeks of jobless benefits. And then another 850,000 will be denied benefits in the first quarter of 2014. Huh. Uh-oh. So Congress has to do something? <laughs> Uh-oh. Wow. Well, you know, the the initial and continuing, well, I guess rather continuing unemployment benefits, those have been extended for a while now. It's more than what you normally get. And I, it's, a, it's an accommodative um, strategy from the government to try to help bridge this gap while the economy's soft. There's a lot of people that are underemployed or um, just unemployed. And at some point, we're going to have to go back, right? Does your article say what it is currently? Because I know that it was it was extended in different states a little bit longer, or whatever. For some reason, right now, I think twenty six weeks is about the magic number or something like that. Uh, but so yeah, we'll keep you guys updated on on what happens and at the end of the month what Congress does. I, I imagine. I uh, want to say twenty six weeks is the norm, is the standard, and then it was extended to. At, at one at point, one point you could get at 99 weeks, and I think yeah. that that has run its course. I, Maybe we're at a year now. Maybe we're, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't have that information. Um, but at any rate, the accommodative policy here looks like it's set to expire unless Congress goes in and says, let's keep this around for longer to keep benefits in more people's hands. Yeah. In all, as many as 4.8 million people could be affected by the expiring unemployment benefits. Um, That's a lot through of people. 2014. 
That is an awful lot of people. No doubt it would have an impact on uh, a lot of the different metrics that we report. Um, you know what else was big this week, Dan? Hmm. Consumer um, price index came out. I know you. I know you saw that. Oh yeah. That was a. That was even a market mover. Um, so here's here's an interesting thing. The forecast of economists surveyed um, said that there was to be really no change in the in the consumer price index. Um, the index dropped. 0.1%. And that fall is just really a reflection of cheaper energy. And I think cheaper energy falls all the way through, right? I mean, doesn't everything in this country in some way or another rely on on gas or energy costs? Um, gained 2% in the month prior. But, um, you know, bottom line is, in terms of the um, consumer price index, this is the measure of inflation. And if we don't see this number running away, it allows the Fed a little bit more room and a little bit more time to keep up with the um, the monetary policy that they've got going on in terms of the quantitative easing. So translation, because pumping this money into the economy is not driving the cost to produce through the roof right? All this loose money supply generally devalues the dollar and makes everything go up in price. In this case, after all this time, the the CPI is still um, low enough that the feds, it doesn't force their hand in having to remove the stimulus. And, and that I think is one of the metrics that the feds watch. They want to see some inflation, but not too much. And if inflation did really take hold, they would be forced to to curtail some of this spending sooner than later. So this metric kind of tells everybody that things are okay, even though we're pumping all this money in, we're not seeing runaway inflation. And so for that reason, there's no added pressure for the feds to take it away. We talk a lot about this issue. And when inflation, I, I don't know that we ever fully explain it. Um, uh, during weak economic times, inflation's a little bit of inflation is positive for us for a weak economy. It helps um, rising prices help companies increase their profits. Rising wages help borrowers repay debts. Um, inflation, a little bit of inflation, encourages people and businesses to borrow money and spend it more quickly. So it helps get that economic engine moving with a little bit of inflation. Um, just to put it all into perspective, over the five years, from 2003 to 2008, inflation during that five-year period um, raised prices by about 10%, right in line with that 2% per year target. Over the past five years, so 2008 to 13, um, prices rose just 8%. And at the current pace that we're at, prices would rise 6% over the next five years. So we're decelerating on our inflation here and that's concerning um yeah one of the things and i i think the primary thing is in terms of tracking inflation against the unemployment numbers when you when you're having trouble in the jobs market you're not creating enough jobs you got a lot of people that are unemployed or underemployed there's some propensity for people to to kind of 
button down on the spending, they quit cracking the wallet, all of a sudden you're selling less. And if at that same time, um, the the everything is kind of weak and not good, then then prices begin to slip. And when you have active deflation happening in the economy while you have high unemployment, then you run into some real trouble. So there's there is always this desire to create some inflation and to keep things moving forward. At the same time, I think it is really a kind of a hair trigger. You don't want to get crazy inflation that makes it to where people are damaged with their savings and and really can't afford the day-to-day expenses because wages don't keep up with inflation right away um, and maybe even very well especially in the short term so this is this was really a big one um, had some decent impact and only actually the day before that did we learn about retail sales and retail sales, obviously, this is another huge one. We talk about this in detail a lot on the show. Um, the retail sales account for, it, it was said as a rule of thumb, like two-thirds. Two-thirds is going away. Now we're calling it 70% in, in most references here. 70% of the nation's GDP has to do with the retail sales. Um, and so we track this metric closely to see from month to month as a reflection of the health of the economy, the confidence of the consumer, how all of these things, where the rubber actually hits the road, what matters here. Um, In the month of October, retail sales um, soundly beat economists' projections. Um, Retail sales rose 0.4%, and they also went back a little bit more time to process the data, were able to um, revise the numbers from September, which, by the way, were slated at a 0.1% decrease for the month of September. They moved that to a positive 0.5%. That's a huge swing, showing that in retrospect, after more time to tally the data and get through everything, September was a fantastic month, and October now um, proves to be great, beating expectations. So what's it mean? Consumers are upbeat. They opened up the pocketbooks and they're spending some dough and we're coming into retail season. So is it people shopping ahead of times, deal hounds, all this kind of thing? I don't know. Um, You can't argue, though. This means that confidence must be pretty good when you got the consumer out spending this kind of money. And all of this right in the face of the government shutdown. Kind of the cynic in me wants to to talk about that a little bit more and say... um, Perhaps it doesn't actually matter, you know, the government <laughs> shutting down for 16 days. Big whoop. It's kind of, you know, I think I told Did we that. notice they were gone? No, I don't know. <laughs> See, that's the danger. And when they shut down for so long, I started teasing about that with my friends and stuff. The only thing I noticed is you couldn't get into it. You couldn't get into Yosemite. Yeah, That's yeah, the state parks. It. But it gave yeah. some people opportunity to go repel some mountains and stuff that they, right. <laughs> that they weren't allowed on before. But so, you know, but truth be told, we really did expect it was talked about so much that um, this government shutdown would have such an impact on these things. And we know that um, the shutdown, um, this standoff that we had in Congress that once again reminded us how divided the nation is and and really how much leadership really appears to be lacking right now in the country uh, gener- generated some great uncertainty and really did affect people's confidence. However, when consumer spending comes out, looks pretty good. 
Yeah, I'm really excited to see how the the holiday season goes. I'm not sure how quickly the Black Friday statistics come out. Hopefully by the next show that we have, but we'll see. Oh yeah, we will. We should probably have a pretty good handle on that. And now, what you got like some of these stores this year announcing that they're going to go ahead and open on Thursday, right? It'll get you a jump on you Black Friday deal hounds. Yeah. And then we got... That's going to help sales numbers look really good. Then we got Cyber Monday, right? That's yeah. the deal. And then what's going on on Tuesday? I'm sure Tuesday is going to be some other, you know, like <laughs> well, something yeah. or other. We got, Telemarketer we're just Tuesday. Expanding. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I heard an advertisement for um, Walmart, and they're like saying that they're going to get the uh, Black Friday prices now or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they're just going to roll them like, up. And it's like, we're going to win this. You know, what they're saying. I'm all for it. Yeah, you but... Go ahead and put your lowest price out today and let the people just come buy those up. Then we can avoid all the trampling and all this. I mean, it oh, yeah. Black Friday bothers me so bad. I, I yeah. love the spending. I love uh, the kickoff of the Christmas season. I'm not a ball humbug kind of guy. But nothing wraps up Thanksgiving. Um after spending a day with people you love and eating well and then being trampling your neighbors to rush <laughs> out and trample, shoot, pepper spray, all these crazy things that people do to rush uh -huh. for the newest Tickle Me Elmo. That drives me nuts. I wish I never had to see it again. So I, I know somebody got punched at a Walmart. Oh, yeah. Because oh, they yeah. were trying to get a trampoline and somebody else wanted that trampoline. My family's <laughs> like, all really? down My family's all down south, and so we do a pretty big lap for each of these holidays. And invariably, we drive past some of these big box stores. And on Thanksgiving evening, as we make our way from one place to the next, we'll pass a place like Best Buy where I see hundreds if not thousands of people standing in a line to try to get in there to get that one playstation 9 or whatever it is that's deeply discounted and i just go man there's i just couldn't imagine that i would i would so rather be sitting there on the couch you know just i'll i guess that's the thing i'll, I'll just pay i'll pay full price if i need it that bad i'm not gonna do that there's no way i notice things go right on sale right before christmas again too it's oh yeah a better deal yeah i mean i don't know well all of this positive news um has the federal reserve board talking talking about tapering talking about future of of rates um, the October 29th and 30th meeting minutes were released on Wednesday, and they showed that members were wrestling with how to unwind the QE program. See, earlier in the week, I saw that um, Yellen made comment that the president, perhaps the president and the Treasury board were a bit too optimistic about these things. And then the Fed minutes get released. Now, and, and these are the minutes from the October meeting, the 29th and the 30th, right? So this was a little while ago. I mean, we're in November now, the end of November. So almost 60 days ago, we're looking at the meeting minutes, and they said that they discussed how to distinguish this asset buying path that they're on and and that it it may end up being announced at the next few meetings um so 
we saw the 10-year yield shoot up. And it had some upward pressure anyway due to a lot of these strong metrics. So, you, know, mm-hmm. you get good retail sales for a couple months. You got um, producer price index okay, consumer price index okay. Um, all of these different metrics looking, looking, uh, putting some upward pressure on rates. And then all of a sudden we read these minutes and we find out that they're talking about it too. Um I think the new approach, by the way, in terms of this getting rid of the tapering here is uh, just to wear everybody out with it. Talk about it so much. That we stop talking about it. Sweat it, it, worry about it. Then when it happens, it's going to be a non-event, right? I mean, isn't that the thing? Nobody wanted to be blindsided by the pullout. That's why the investors ran when they heard the first shot across the bow. And now you got... Yeah, we're, I'm, I'm already tired of hearing about it. In fact, I'm ready to stop talking about it is is where I'm at on the on the tapering. Thing. Well, does we, anyone care anymore? <laughs> I, I think there's some people who care. I know I care. <laughs> um, it sounds like we're going to have a little more clarity on this issue in the coming months. It sounds like the Federal Reserve Board is strongly considering reducing their bond purchases in the coming months if the job market continues to improve. They even weighed the possibility of slowing the purchases even without clear evidence of a strengthening job market. Boo. So I think they're getting they're ready. They're they're ready to let the economy begin to stand on its own. I saw a really interesting thing this week. We don't have enough time to get fully into it, but check this out. The mortgage market slowed down since since uh May, June, when rates were really at their all-time low, we've been hearing about bank layoffs. We know that volume is down. Um, We've seen pipelines in all mortgage um, origination-related businesses have fallen between 30 and 50%, depending on the setup. The feds haven't slowed their pace at all. So they were buying like <laughs> they're the buyer now. <laughs> 50 to 50 to 60 percent of the available securities because there was there's other players. But now that the volume is slowed and they've kept their pace, aren't they actually buying 70 to 80 percent of it now, taking on a bigger share than what the math told them in the beginning that they should be doing? Because remember, being the heavy purchaser of these securities and holding these in your portfolio does create some risk. So they only wanted a certain percentage of the available market anyway. And now, due to the spike in rates, they're taking a higher percentage of what they had before. And I think this is the support for why you may see the feds slow that pace down a little bit, independent of the economic data. Because they want to keep their proportional um, related risk in this market to the rest of the overall volume, which has slowed and they've not slowed. That makes sense. So tie a ton employment or not, okay. They don't have to. They make the decisions as they want to. And I think that this is beginning to be discussed now is that, hey, volumes are down a lot, but you're still buying at the same level. And by the way, it's not really working the way that it was before. So perhaps it's a good time to start slowing it down. That's what I think is happening. We'll test your theory because when taper was first starting to get talked about, the talk was to reduce the treasury buying before the mortgage-backed security buying to make sure the housing market stayed strong. 
We'll yeah. see. We'll we'll test your theory here in a couple months. We'll talk about housing <laughs> at the close-up part of the show because that's some of the other um, conversation here that we don't have time to get into. We do need to make our way into a commercial break here, and when we get back, we're going to have Eric Frangian from Hague Quality Water. Um, really quickly to the caller, I am related to the people who own the flower shop in San Francisco. No way. All Podestos are related. That's what I've been told by other older Podestos. That's not even possible. Even Podestas are related to the Podestos. It just one's male and one's female. It's we something. all learned right. that, yeah, exactly. right? In Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's ten thirty-three. We're gonna do a commercial break. We'll be back in a few minutes, and we'll be joined by our guests. Thanks for sticking around. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk nine twenty. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, Seattle, Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Inflatable pool full of dad's hot air. Well, I was three years old, splashing everywhere, and so began my love affair with water. All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. You got Engineer Jim putting in some timely water, a water music bed. It's going to be the, the topic of the hour here. We're joined by 
Eric Ferrangi from Hague Quality Water. It's not your first time, but it's our first time here together. This is fun. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is fun. Oh, boy. I did hear a little bit of the segment, though, when you were on last time. And I also got a lot of feedback. Um, people like you. Uh-oh. That sounds good. Yeah. Sound, you have a good voice for radio. Very eloquent. A linguist of sorts. Excellent. I try. Yeah. So, um, well, and we can't assume that everyone that heard you last time is, again, the listenership today. In fact, we kind of hope not. Um, I mean, I know some of those loyal listeners have stuck around, but I'd, I'd like you to just um, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you got into this, um, what drives you. What drives me? Mostly my car. <laughs> Let's see. So I've been doing uh, water systems for about 12 years now. And this is my family's business. My dad's been in the business for over 25 years. And I got into it because I wanted to help people. And it was a really good um, product that everybody needs. And most people either already have or don't have. But obviously, that's what I help people with. Um, what got me into this was kind of um, different options I looked at. I started in computers and networking. And it was a lot of time that I ended up having to fix other people's problems and getting yelled at and high stress and it was just it was not great for me so I like dealing with people and that's really what got me into into the water business when I first started um, I'm kind of you know, like six four 300 and something pounds my dad's like I don't know if you'll do well at this because you're kind of big and you might intimidate people <laughs> I'm like and what else give me a shot so he's like okay we'll give it a shot and within about two years I was sales manager hiring and training other salespeople to do what we do and so are they buying based on fear? Are you intimidating? No, not really. Like <laughs> I seem really big, but I can squish down really small. So I've got an optical <laughs> illusion going on here. Um, yeah, so I've been doing this for, like I said, about 12 years. And I'm really into um, learning about the water quality issues. And it, it's amazing. Once you start diving into water quality issues and concerns, it's just this uh, long path of research that to most people wouldn't spend the time. I spend probably too much time on it. Um, and then I try to sort through all this stuff and just give people the information that they really need to know in a way that they can understand and can appreciate and help them make good, helpful decisions for their households. Water felt like a um, like one of the rabbit holes to me. I started looking at water stuff and then right away, I, I learned that you could get to like, you know, I live in Atascadero, so I went to the Atascadero Water Company website. They published their report about what was in the water. And so I started into that thinking, well, heck, I'm going to just gonna take a look and see what's up with my water. And um, lots of words and things reminded me of chemistry class, which I didn't do very well at, by the way. Um, I started to get a little bit overwhelmed, like, hey, there's a, wait a minute, how come water is not just water? And <laughs> there was like things that they had goals of reaching so much stuff in the water um, for the plus or the negative. Sometimes they're add stuff. A lot of times they're trying to take stuff out. Then the chemicals that they're putting in the water to try to counteract the things that naturally occur in the water or leach from the pipes or whatever. And then before too long, I found myself 
um, wondering, okay, well, clearly there's a range in so much of these, uh, like chemicals, for example, that they say, oh, well, you can have uh, up to a thousand of these where you can only have three of those. And on the scale of a thousand, our goal is to get to a hundred. Um, and we only had 62 of them. And I go, well, I don't really know what it is, but it seems like you're within the tolerance. And then the more I started to go, well, I guess I need to know what that chemical is and what it does to me and my family. So now I got to go look up this thing. And then there you go, man, now you're off and running. And you start wondering why would the government even allow these guys to dump stuff into the water in the first place? Um, and then all of a sudden I felt like my faith in mankind was kind of shaken was this is water. Why exactly. is it, why is it so hard now um, for me just to turn on the tap and get a glass of safe, healthy water? And then, oh, then I, I kind of just had to stop. It's just too scary. It feels overwhelming like that. And I think it's always just based on, you know, I want to believe that the government tries to do the right thing most of the time. So if we're looking back 100 years in the 1900s, you know, kids were dying from drinking water. I mean, that was a major concern for parents at the time. And so they started saying, okay, well, let's chlorinate the water so that we kill all the bacteria. And then the kids that were getting sick and dying will survive. And sure enough, that worked. But unfortunately, we didn't realize until about the 1970s that the chlorination process has side effects that are found to be carcinogenic. So we weren't actually regulating these chemicals for about 70 years in our water. Now that we regulate them, they've changed the regulations a couple times saying, well, maybe the first regulation was a little bit, you know, higher than it should have been. It should have been maybe a little bit lower. And then ultimately, as you said, the goal is how many carcinogens would we like to have in our water? And the answer is <laughs> always zero. Like that's the goal is zero. Now, if you can have 100 or you can have 80, you know, the, there's a maximum level that's determined by not just public health, but also um, the economics of it. It's like you can't force every city that can't afford to do basic human services to provide the best quality water either. Yeah, and by the way, just as a quick side note here, I'm a big dude too. In fact, when you tell me that, that 100 is the limit, like the government has said, don't give these guys more than 100 or people may start dying, and I go... Okay, cool, because you're only giving us 80. Then the difference of me getting 80 and then my, like, 36-pound daughter getting 80, that's how can they have made a number and we're so close to it and it's safe for me and safe for her. That's a freaky thing to me. Um, what are they basing this on? Who Who's the lowest common denominator here on, on most of the, like, chlorine, for example? So most of what I've read that the EPA puts out is based on healthy adults. Hmm. So I've, I've got some light reading here. This is the annual water quality report for San Luis Obispo. And all oh, this, stuff this is, is just like what I was talking about that I, that I read for Tascadero. Exactly. And all this stuff is available online, which is great. And you can actually pull up from 2008 to 2012 all the reports from at least San Luis Obispo. And I, I've got a couple trends I looked up. But important health information basically says some people may be more vulnerable to contaminants in drinking water than the general population. Speaking specifically, it's talking about people with immune system disorders, some elderly and infants may be particularly at risk from infections, legal jumbo, and then ultimately it says um, if you have a concern with your water, contact your uh, health care providers. So the majority of what we've always believed to be safe drinking water 
is now, you know, legal jargonly turned into acceptable risk. Mm. So nobody is any longer saying, oh, the drinking water is safe. They say, based on these standards, it's an acceptable risk for you to drink it. Now, they've got standards for lead, which is basically um, what they consider the 90th percentile. So if 90% of the people that you're delivering your water to have lead levels within tolerable ranges, that's good enough. So 10% of us are basically expendable with regards to lead. Oh, good. Yeah. Doesn't this sound very familiar to the conversation we had with our landlord for one of our offices about putting a cell tower above our heads? Yeah. It was, you know, it's not that it's perfectly safe, but there's an acceptable amount of risk to have a cell phone tower installed literally uh, seven feet above your, your brain. Yeah, uh, in, in fact, that's what this is reminding me we of. We were deemed healthier <laughs> to be directly below it because of the way they blow them. They're like, you should be happy you're going to be under it instead of right next door to it. And I'm going, you're out of your mind if you think I'm going to be anywhere near it. You're crazy. But yeah, that, but honestly, though, that's kind of the. You make those choices either directly or indirectly to be. Um, subject to risk and, and somebody else's determination of the acceptable level of risk. And that's where you as a consumer really have to make the decision. Right across the hall is our tech room, and there's a sign that says, warning, there's a radiology, uh, radi radiation. radiation hazard. Yeah, love that. <laughs> 50, not even 20 feet away. <laughs> so, yeah, you, so you have to kind of make the decision <laughs> as like a as a human being bouncing through life today. Uh, whether you're going to identify said risks and attempt to mitigate them or just let the government make decisions on your behalf and hope that you live a normal, healthy life. Exactly. That's that's the hope. <laughs> and unfortunately, the more data that's coming out, the more they're saying, oh, well, these regulations are probably not as good as we like them to be. So, I mean, for example, arsenic, we've known for hundreds of years arsenic is a poison. Now, can you taste it or smell it? No, it's absolutely undetectable. That's why it's so great at getting rid of people, mm. people that you need to get rid of. But yeah, um, they set the maxim maximum level at 100 parts per billion, and it's been that way for, I don't know, as long as I've been you know, reading about it, it's 30, 40 years. And then about eight years ago, they said, well, no, maybe it should be 10 parts per billion. <laughs> You're going from 100 down to 10. <laughs> And a lot of people that are in... Uh, it probably should have already been 10. Somebody just forgot to carry the zero or move the decimal wrong or something. Exactly. And, it, <laughs> and, it, and if you read back to why it was set at 100, it was based on economic impact. That was the only reason that oh, it wasn't good. set at 10 originally was because they didn't think that everybody could afford to get it to 10. Oh. So I've been getting a lot of uh, concerned residents in uh, Arroyo Grande, specifically on well water, where people um, have to get new... Uh, final completion on their add-ons and they're saying well now the city's testing my water for arsenic and telling me that i have to fix my water problem and now it's going to cost me money and i'm i'm really mad at the city i'm thinking they're trying to protect your health and telling you you've got too many carcinogens in your water and you're mad at them because they're telling you essentially you have to spend your money yeah so it's this it's this double-edged sword where if you if you chose to want to maintain that uh arsenic level in your water over the maximum level you know the, the city is saying that's probably not a good idea and we're not going to allow you to do that I, I kind of agree with them so on on certain aspects i would say the city does a great job and i don't ever want to smear what the municipalities do because we get water 
there's pressure, it's relatively decent quality, and it meets all state and federal standards. But beyond those standards, do I want something better for my family? Absolutely. And that's where it becomes everybody's individual choice as to what do they want in their water. Of these allowable limits, is that allowable and acceptable to you? And the answer should be no if you do the research. If you don't do the research, it's like, eh, it's probably fine. Yeah. Wow. Well, I feel like we're just scratching the surface here. Um, you wrote a really cool article, by the way. I mean, you're a regular blogger on our site. We we think that you're a great technical writer. Um, more importantly, your content is um, usually pretty inspiring. This last article that we read um, sort of seemed like a, an interesting one. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I jump to conclusions a lot here. So I, I'm going to say how I feel about it, and then you can tell me if I totally missed the boat. The chlorine regulation's been coming down the pipe. There's concerns now that chlorine basically in the body breaks down into some more damaging chemicals. It's not actually probably pretty good for you. Um, in an effort to try to regulate it, they started cracking down a little too hard. And so rather than just truly address the issue, um, some of these water municipalities have just switched to a new chemical that isn't being regulated so that they could save the time and hassle of complying. And basically, in, in this is the cynic in me right here, but basically just avoid the issue by saying, eh, it's going to take the regulators to figure out a little while of what this new chemical does. And until they do, this is a cheaper fix than addressing and complying with the current standards. So they just derail, take a new path, and wait for the regulation to come down the pipe then. And that's, and that's kind of what I've been looking at is – if you look at the EPA and how quickly they move on things, if they found something in our water today that was actually bad for us, carcinogenic, and, and they could prove that, it would still take them seven years before they actually set a standard to remove it from our water. So you're expecting seven years of exposure to something bad before you actually have it mandated that it's removed. So what happened was early 1900s when they started chlorinating the water to you know save all these kids, they tried a couple different chemicals. They tried chlorine and they tried chloramines. Now, chloramines is a um, disinfectant that's a combination of chlorine and ammonia. Now, I'm not allowed to do laundry at my house, but I remember from when I was a kid. <laughs> not allowed? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bad things happen with me in the laundry room. Okay. But I remember that you're not supposed to mix chlorine and ammonia together in the laundry room. Have you ever heard this? Yeah, it makes like a volatile gas. Exactly. So it'll actually See, create... I was paying attention in chemistry class. <laughs> huh? Absolutely. It'll create chlorine gas. So this is what they're adding to the water. So we've got um, oh, good. chlorine. You add in chlorine, and then you add some ammonia in after it. And what they found was in the early 1900s is it's like a thousand times less effective than chlorine at killing bacteria. So they said, well, let's use free chlorine, not chloramines, because it's not as effective. And that was roughly 100 years ago. But it was on the books as a authorized disinfectant because there weren't any side effects that they knew about 100 years ago. Okay. All right. So we, we use chlorine, and we find, oh, there are side effects of the chlorination process. And then so they set all these regulations based on these um, carcinogens 
that are on our water port. And if you look at the water port, you can download it. They call it total trihalomethanes. That's a really long word. And I think that means you have bad breath. That's it. Exactly. If you look at the at the typical source of trihalomethanes, it says byproduct of drinking water disinfection. It doesn't say on the report specifically that it's a carcinogen or that you should be concerned with it. It's just kind of, ah, eh, it's in the water. Um, the maximum contaminant level for these trihalomethanes is 80 parts per billion, meaning if it's 81, it's unsafe, but if it's 79, that's great. Good job. Perfectly fine. Gold star. So the average trihalomethanes for San Luis Obispo for 2012 is 65.1. That seems awfully close to 80. Yeah. Because, like, when I get a smog on my truck, they let you have, like, you know, two of two whatever of these things, and it, it always comes out at, like, 0.001, and I'm like, see, it's basically a Prius. Now, <laughs> if, it, <laughs> if it was, like, 1.9, I'd be going, dude, I'm, like, almost over the limit, like a gross polluter. If, if they told me my metric was 80 and I blew a 0.65 or, or you know, a 65, I would mm-hmm. expect problems. Yeah. But that's just okay here. So that's what it's saying. And as I looked back through the last couple of years, um, just off the San Luis Obispo's website back to 2008, it used to be 51. And then it jumped oh. to 57 and 58 and 61 <laughs> and 62. Now we're at 65. So really what, what municipalities are dealing with is regulation of these disinfection byproducts and the concern that as soon as they go over they get fined and so if you look you have to raise the threshold well that's 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 what that's one way to do it that's like the debt ceiling you know what if i was the guy that got to put up the speed limit signs i'd just raise them to 90 between like work and my house sure and i could just bomb 90 why not that works works for me 65 is problematic man i'm going more than that So the range on these things, if you look at what they range, it's 44 to 111. So on any given day, your exposure will be between 44 and 111. So it does exceed the limit, but they're saying on average, your annual you know, dosage of this would be within federal regulations. So what they did was they said, okay, well, these trihalomethanes are an issue for municipalities. They can't exceed these levels. And the only place around here that I know that have exceeded levels was in Cayucas. Okay. So they did exceed levels there. They got fined. They had to put in a couple million dollars in additional infrastructure to deal with solving that problem. But a lot of but they maintained the chlorination. They didn't change the they didn't change the chemistry of the water. So a lot of places are actually changing the chemistry of the water and switching from chlorine to chloramines. Now we know that chlorine has side effects and so far we have about six regulated. 600 have been identified. We only regulate six. They've only tested about 300 of those 600 um, disinfection byproducts of chlorine for toxicity. And again, they've been working on this for 35 years. That's as far as they've gotten. So now we change the chemistry of the water and overnight, oh, those regulated disinfection byproducts, those are like great. They look perfect. But the question is, well, what new disinfection byproducts did you just create by changing the chemistry of the water? Oh, don't worry about that. It's, it's all within regular federal limits. So this has been my concern the whole time. And about uh, 2001, um, Washington, D.C. changed from chlorine to chloramines for that exact reason. And they changed the infrastructure of their 
distribution system from chlorine to chloramine disinfection, and overnight the lead levels jumped to like a thousand times the legal limit in some neighborhoods. And and see, now lead's not a very good thing for you. It has some bad health effects. But so, and I'm just a state school kid. I didn't, um, like I said, I didn't do particularly great in chemistry, but I could only imagine that when you switch the chemistry of the water and see lead go through the roof, perhaps it's because the new chemistry of the water is more effective at breaking down the pipes or cleaning out the trapped lead somewhere along the way. So you're, now your change has caused the reaction that maybe you weren't expecting, and now all of a sudden here you are um, having way more lead than you should have. And that's what most people that would be, you know, like us that know things and kind of can think uh, would have assumed uh, they actually started to cover it up in Washington, D.C. So for a period of two years, because they'd invested all this infrastructure and in change and the change didn't go as they had planned, they said, we're going to just kind of brush it under and hopefully that it, it gets better. But didn't get better. It went on for two years with high levels of lead. Um, so who's suing who now? Somebody is, right? Lawsuits, uh, congressional hearings. CDC came out and did some uh, reports that were, you know, questioned by some as kind of uh, false reports. Long story short, thousands of children in Washington, D.C. were affected by this high level of lead. And high level of lead in developing kids leads to long-term neurological problems. Uh-oh. So, you know, if we look back at our history, you know, what happened with the Romans? The uh, lead, they all died. Yeah, but remember what, why they went crazy? The lead pipes. Right. So, you know, they always say history repeats itself. So here we are dumping lead in their own water supplies of our kids in Washington, D.C. And again, the adults drink the water, too, there sometimes, I've heard. Yeah, right? You kind of have to. I mean, the, your body is 70% water. Is um, there a place where someone can access this report that you're referencing? Right yeah. on the website. Uh, I put a link on it from the blog. Okay. But if you just wiki lead contamination in Washington, D.C. drinking water, there's a, a good 17 pages of information documenting every piece of this. It was front news on, I believe it was the Washington Post in 2004. But, Dan, are you talking specifically about that? Washington, D.C. issue or just this water quality report for San Luis Obispo? I, the water quality for yeah, San Luis. These are available <clears throat> on the city websites. Okay. Um, it, it has to be made public knowledge. So you can go get a look at what's in the water at your house. Um, and I we got to get out um, for the commercial break here. Um, I feel like we've done a relatively adequate job of discussing some of the problems with the water. I, I think just a little bit further the discussion, you know, we need to talk about, um, yeah, averages and, and what that means per household. And then additionally, I'd like to talk about the solutions that are available to have quality water in the house. Uh, I think that's ultimately why you're here, raising awareness and giving solutions. So stick with us for the second hour here in Mortgage Matters. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. 
All right, guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. We have uh, Eric Ferrangi in here. Um, this dude's car says water snob on the license plate, and you got to just spend a little bit of time with him to know that he's the real deal when it comes to water. Um, I, If there was water jeopardy and we could, like, <laughs> send somebody that we sponsored into the event, I'm sending you, man. I appreciate it. I had a nightmare last night where I was being waterboarded with tap water. <laughs> You're lying. <laughs> That's pretty funny, though. Um, okay, so this conversation's got to take some shape now, man. We've been all over the place. I have a couple quick questions for you, though, that I need to know your at least your opinion on, if not the, the true scientific medical answer here. Um, so I'm drinking chlorine or I'm drinking chloramines, I'm drinking arsenic, I'm drinking lead, I'm drinking all these things. Um, so what? I'm fine. I think. Exactly. Am I? Am I fine? I don't know. <laughs> so, and that's, that's really the, the, the line between what I can say and what I can't say. So because I'm not a doctor, at least I don't even play one on TV, I can't, <laughs> I can't say anything about health-related issues. I can say, here's this study, and the study says um, if you drink chlorinated tap water, your um, risks as an adult male of developing bladder cancer are 50% higher. Eesh. Just, just from drinking tap water. Hey, so look, there's, there's – these things in the water, and we know they're there. Dan Dan lives out in Morro Bay and just went to the website, right, Dan? And you found a report. What yeah, it was at? it was three clicks. I, I First, I Googled Morro Bay water. takes you to the city page. At the bottom, there was a link to quality reports, and it has them all the way back to 2001. The most recent is a 2012 report, and, um, and it, it's got all the same breakdown here of this um, San Luis City one that you brought in. It, it breaks down each of the different substances, what the measured amount they're finding, what the range is, and whether it's in violation or not. And everything says no violation. So what we're looking at is basically less than 20 contaminants that they're reporting on. The federal law says they have to actually test for like 80 some odd contaminants. And in California, we're even better off because they test for 105 in this state. But we're not seeing 105 results on this test, and I've never really questioned that to anybody. Um, but, you know, that's a concern to me as well. Where's the rest of this study that we're not seeing? Yeah. Um, when we live in a country where there's 80,000 regis registered chemicals, and of those 80,000 registered chemicals, only 105 of them are water-soluble, that doesn't make sense to me. I thought you were going to say 105 of them are under my sink. Oh. <laughs> About a hundred of them. Just kidding. <laughs> there. Okay. So, so so to get back to the state water thing. So Morro Bay is on state water, and state water is really the big push for chloramines. And the reason is, when you drive along the freeway and you see that big beautiful swimming pool along the side of the freeway, that's our state water aqueduct. It's basically a giant swimming pool that runs the whole length of the state. And anybody that has a swimming pool, I don't have one, but anybody that has a swimming pool will tell you. Um, when the sun's out and shine on your pool, you got to keep adding more and more chlorine. Yeah, oh yeah, it, it evaporates from the sun. Exactly, and it heats it up and it offcasts. Now, if you were to take a, a pot and boil a pot of water, it would take you like roughly 1.6 hours to burn off the chlorine out of that 
chips out of that pot with heat. It would take you 16 hours to do the same thing with chloramines. Whoa. So it's much more stable in the water. It's really hard to get rid of. Um, but along the state water duct, that's why they use chloramines because it stays in the water longer. Now I was visiting some friends in Tracy, California, and I saw they had the, the aqueduct, and I said, oh, are you guys on state water here? They said, no, it just runs by our house. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. He's like, what's really cool is when they do tow day. I'm like, what, what's tow day? It's like they hire every tow truck contractor in the area to go um, basically pull cars out of the aqueduct. I said, are you kidding me? What do you mean pull cars? Yeah, like in the Bay Area, when people want to get rid of their cars and say they get stolen, they just push them in the aqueduct, and they just kind of make their way down into Tracy, and this is where they kind of collect. He says one year they pulled out 42 cars. <laughs> out of our drinking water. Out of our drinking water. So when we look at our water port in Morro Bay, it doesn't say anywhere how much antifreeze is in there or you know, how much, how much brake dust. But again, if you got 42 cars in the water, that's got to add a little bit of brake dust or antifreeze to the water, I would think. It's just not a regulated contaminant. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, man. You freak me out, dude. <laughs> Talking about water, it's so alarming to me, the links that we have to go through nowadays and questioning something so simple as what what's happening to you when you walk into the kitchen and pour a glass of water or bring your newborn baby home and give them that first bath in that water. It's it's like it could be aqueduct water that's got antifreeze in it or freon or asbestos or, oh, th there's so many chemicals, so much stuff. Yeah, so when the water snob has a baby, he brings his water filter to the hospital and he talks to the nurse and he says, um, here's what you're going to have to do to wash my baby for the first time. We're going to have to do it in filtered water. I'm like, are you cool with that? She's like, yeah, that's fine. So I've got my whole water, my water test set up at the sink in the delivery room, and I've prepared the water for the baby's first bath. Chlorine-free, filtered, soft water. Here we go. The baby's about to get washed. Totally sponge bath my baby. Not a single whimper. Totally content with the water. Now, then she reached down, and this is terrible. She grabbed some, some of the free shampoo that they have at the hospital. She threw it on the washcloth, kind of rubbed it against her hand, and put it on my daughter's chest. As soon as the chemicals from that baby shampoo that I, I will not name the name of touched her skin, instant, instant screaming. It wasn't Weird. cold. It was just that's how sensitive kids' skin are, the skin is. So when you take a kid and you put them in the bathtub and they start to scream, it's not because they're not used to water because you're burning them. It's because there's something in that water that's causing major irritation with their skin. And that's one of the biggest issues I always have with chlorine and chloramines is it's an irritant. Not to say the chlorine is, is a, by itself is a carcinogen because it isn't, but it's, an, it's a known irritant. And anybody that spends time in the swimming pool knows that. It's terrible for your skin and for your hair. And by the time these... Poor screaming kids are old enough to say, hey, what's wrong with you? Why are you burning my skin? They get used to it. Hey, when I was a kid, we used to go to my grandma's house. They always like lived on a country club that had a pool and stuff. So we'd spend whole days in the pool because we didn't have a pool. I mean, I grew up poor. We didn't have a pool. We would get to go. It was a special thing. And we could be in the pool for like, you know, over the course of a day, pr probably from 10 in the morning until 5 or 6 in the afternoon. And you get out. Man, and I remember as a young boy, you got chlorine throat, right? Take that deep breath. 
and you feel that terrible feeling in the back of your throat that like something's wrong with you and then your eyes are blurry like um that effect they put on like the uh, the dream sequence of a television show where all around <laughs> you, your vision has been obstructed into this like fog. Um, skin's brittle and dry. That cute girl that started out as like a towhead blonde in the morning has like green hair. Um, it's like, <laughs> in retrospect, I'm going, dang, we probably shouldn't have been allowed to be in there for like six or eight hours a day um, for weeks at a time in the summer. I mean, as kids or whatever in the back in the day no one i don't think cared or thought or knew or questioned these things whatever today parents are and i thought about that um in terms of like the water at our house in my bathroom um you could turn on the sink and smell chlorine like you were in a pool Mm -hmm. and um that just freaked me out, dude. I, so I started thinking, if, if if you can just spend an afternoon in the pool and have it so damage you that you can't breathe, can't see, hair's turning color, skin's cracking and drying and feels terrible, how smart is it that we're bathing in this, um, we're drinking it, we launder our clothes in it, and we sleep in it, and all this kind of thing. It's just it's alarming that that, that chemical is not a good thing. Uh, you can't argue that it is i mean it yes it um it maybe it kills like the rabies or something that gets in the water i don't know what gets in the water that the chlorine's killing there's probably a lot of things like bacteria that cause dysentery and stuff like that i'm glad that it's killing that stuff but by the time i want to pipe it into my house i want it out i I don't want to have it anymore um so why don't you talk to us a little bit about that how do you get this stuff out of the water so what I do is um, I actually do filtration systems. So where a lot of companies focus on water softeners, water softeners will take care of the hardness. It'll make your showers look clean and your dishes sparkle. And these are all the benefits of soft water, which have been you know great for many, many people. But that's really where the softener stops. It doesn't take care of any of the chemical issues in the water. So I have combination systems that can both filter and soften the water for the entire home at the same time. These were developed in about the 1980s, about 10 years after we learned about the chemical concerns in the water. Um, The company that I uh, sell the equipment, Hague Quality Water, they designed a system that would address these chemical issues, whereas everybody else is still, even today, just manufacturing and selling water softeners. Uh, What I always like to share with people is there's a couple different ways we're going to get exposed to these chemicals. And The first way is through our skin. Our skin is our body's largest organ. We absorb a lot of things that our skin comes in contact with. And now they've done the studies recently. I'm just going to keep using the same term because I want to keep it consistent. Trihalomethanes. They've done this study where if you take a shower and they test your blood before and after the shower, there's elevated levels of these trihalomethanes in your blood. Unfortunately, all the water quality standards that we are reading about are based on a drinking water standard. There are no bathing standards with regards to chemicals. Now, when I was growing up, um, we, uh, we didn't have a dog, and I had a rat. And I'd keep this rat, and the first couple of rats I had, they rat, didn't... Rat, rat named Ben? No. No, I wish. Oh, okay. Splinter. Ninja, <laughs> Ninja Turtles. 
<laughs> All right, so the first three rats that I had, they didn't live very long, and they died of cancers, like really big cancers where they couldn't kind of move around much. So I'm like, well, that sucks. Um, and at some point, you know, my dad being in, got into the water business way back when, he got a water filter, and we started drinking good water, and whatever I drank, guess what I gave to my little buddy? The same water. After my dad put in this water filter, my rats went from living like a year and dying of cancer to living like three or four years and just dying of old age. And the only thing that I changed, same pet store food, the only thing I changed was the water. Now, I didn't mean to you know, do water experiments on my kids as like a 12-year-old, but when I look back on it, it's like that was pretty telling. Um, the other night I was looking through an EPA, a uh, California health initiative that, that's like 300 pages long. I can promise you I did not read the whole thing. Um, but it's basically leading back to a bunch of lab tests done on rodents and such with regards to water quality and all these chemicals. And that's where they come up with these goals. So all these goals are based on what effect does it have on little tiny rats, and the end result is it has a huge impact on them. What I do for my water, um, I'm on a well, and I deal with uh, concerns about bacteria, also nitrates. Um, I live near the cemetery, so I worry about a little bit of dead people in my water too. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it's pretty telling when you look around you and you say, okay, well, wh who are all my neighbors and what are they dumping their yard and what are they dumping in their septic tanks and how's that going to impact my water? It's probably going to impact it, you know, to some degree, and I don't really want to be drinking my neighbor's medication. Yeah. Exactly. I have uh, um, some kind of salty old friends that some of these dudes will floor me at times, like. Um, not too long ago, this, this guy that I know, um, I told him that I had to go dump my motor oil. You know, I, I, I like to do a lot of mechanic stuff myself. And when I change the oil in my car, I catch it all in the thing and I put it into a, a bigger storage container. And then when it's time that that's full, I'd go and dump it. I go, oh, you're crazy, man. Just go dump that out back. And I go, you can't dump that out back. It gets into the drinking water. And I say, oh, you, you're crazy. That's that's like the government talking or something. Um, there are people out there today that are still dumping crazy chemicals right into the ground without even thinking twice about it. In fact, would encourage you to do the same thing. Yeah. And that's, and that's a scary thing is, you know, I have a lot of friends that are super environmental and like, oh, I wouldn't, you know, dump those things. I said, yeah, but that's you. What about your neighbors? You don't know the guy down the street or even the guy down the street, what he did 50 years ago. Right. So we're cleaning up our act now, but that doesn't mean all the stuff we dumped 50 years ago just disappeared. It's still in the ground. The water's still running through it. Not, not to mention, like, if you look at the freeway, this is always a fun thing here. And I don't know if you guys ever notice this, but... If you look at the freeway, you go through a, a dip, right? And the car suddenly bounces down a couple inches and up. Mm -hmm. That dip has this brown patch right in front of it. And it obviously the car is not dragging. Um, it's not something isn't just happening right there. But what happens in the dip is the drips of chemicals and all the crap on the car that that sudden downward movement forces a drip to come off there. And so as you drive around and you see little driveways and bumps and stuff around the roads in town, you see these dark spots. And the, it's just 
some chemicals and and i don't know and whatever helps you sleep at night you can convince yourself it's asbestos or freon antifreeze um, hydraulic fluid gasoline diesel whatever 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 um, but when the rain comes along where do you think that stuff goes i mean it, it's washing somewhere maybe hopefully just back out into the ocean right that'd be a good place for it but the reality of it is is that a lot of it is getting back into the ground into the drinking water in some place or another you can see it all around. Yeah. So even if you're not blatantly dumping a gallon of gasoline into the backyard, um, there's a lot of byproduct that comes off of just cars, you know, in the particular matter. You ever leave your um, car at the airport for a week and you come back and find that grime that's on it and it's like particulate matter from like the jet fuel that's burning off and just settling like a cloud i had some family that lived near an airport and talk about dealing with some crazy particulate matter that's just that stuff is all around so it's it's kind of alarming i wanted to um to spend a little bit of time here to tell you that i i did um do quite a bit of research and i um eventually had you come out to my house eric and we we tested my water and we talked about all these kinds of things and we looked at the way that my family uses water um in the end i ultimately decided to buy um the water system from you and i really in fact and this is the first time that we were kind of sitting down talking about all this kind of thing again um it was it was a it it was still even kind of a tough decision like in i i know you're up against this every day because you're you're more or less you're attempting to educate people and then ultimately sell them this so i i struggle with calling you a salesman because i i definitely see you as a serviceman more than that but um it's tough it's expensive um it's not it's it's not a endeavor really that probably all households can afford um they probably could if they believed in the importance and saw the benefits but the reality is is that um i i made the decision to put the hague system into my house and i'm thrilled that i have as we talk about all these things today i know that um i'm bathing my babies in good water and we're drinking good water and we're cooking with good water and i don't worry about any of this stuff anymore um and just as an aside i know that you would have a lot of things to say about it but um i was doing culligan beforehand for two reasons number one um our water tasted bad so we had to do something to just make it taste better and um, so we did Culligan, uh, a reverse osmosis system made the water taste better and the hard water was ruining our coffee maker and causing, um, you know, just general hard water issues. Plus I was concerned about the wear and tear on the house and all this kind of thing. So, um, that being said, my whole point in this is we were already going to some lengths to have quality water. And it turns out that we were totally missing the boat on all of this stuff that, um is potentially really damaging to health and the cost difference between getting the Culligan system and the Hague system was a no-brainer for me i mean i i went from renting some stuff to owning some stuff for what i'm going to call budget neutral and 
Um, so we're we're really stoked to have the system in our house, and um, it's one of these things where. I, I would just encourage people to reach out to you and have you come to their house and just check out the water, talk about the water, see what's in the water, see um, what the objectives are. And, and also those people that are paying for some kind of water service today, what the cost difference is there, because I don't think it's as like alarming and unmanageable as some people might think. Um, so anyways, I, I wanted to just share with everybody that I, I bought the Hague system. I didn't get um, I didn't get it for free because I do a radio show, though I kind of felt like I should have. <laughs> I, I hear the bed commercials on the radio around here and everybody's like, yeah, they gave me a free bed because I'm, a, I'm on the air and I'm talking about it all the time. Um, you should have given me a free Hague system, but hey, that's for another day. You know I was going to rib you a little bit about of that. Of course, of course. Um, but... So anyways, we got our water and we already had soft water. So I don't I don't notice a tremendous difference in the feel of the water. Mm -hmm. I definitely notice that I don't smell chlorine anymore. Um, I definitely notice that everything um, the water does. You can't compare the taste of Culligan water to Hague water. It's ridiculous. Um, once you drink Hague water, um, as a, your regular source of water, if you drink some other water, it's like offensive. Um, but I didn't know. I, I bring my water with me. I brought my water today. I bring my water with me everywhere I go now. Um, I just couldn't be happier with the quality of the water. And, and we've had it for several months now. And I will tell you, I, I already was taking it for granted how good my water is. Um, two weeks ago, I went down and visited my little brother in Carlsbad. And I was absolutely assaulted by rancid water. Um, <laughs> the shower, the water smelled and it felt terrible. I, I, oh man, I brushed my teeth the first night. And when I rinsed my mouth with that water, I wished I hadn't. I considered rebrushing. It tasted so bad. They, <laughs> they are younger or don't care or something, but they just, just do normal old tap water for everything. And it was horrid. And I literally was there for a couple days and I thought to myself, I cannot wait to go home to get back into um, my luxury water. I have luxury water at my house for sure. Absolutely. And everybody that has the Hague system will tell you the same thing. Um, we have a lot of clients that have second homes here from Bakersfield. And the Bakersfield water is much better quality as far as the hardness goes than what we have here on the coast. And they'll always tell us, oh, the water's fine in Bakersfield, but we need something for our house in Shell Beach, for example. It's like, okay, we'll, we'll do a system for Shell Beach, but I'm going to warn you, as soon as you get used to this new Hague water, you're going to beg us to come to Bakersfield and put in a system. And sure enough, give them, you know, three months, and they're calling us up saying, hey, um, we got a problem with our water over here in Bakersfield now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you don't really know what you have until you're – exposed to something that's significantly better and all of a sudden you realize that it wasn't even a matter of setting the bar low the bar wasn't set it was just you thought that was water or something sure and that's and that's how a lot of people are that have never that grew up in the area and never had a system they're just like oh yeah my skin is just terrible you know i'm 40 years old but i got the skin of an 80 year old that's just because i have bad skin mm -hmm. not necessarily you probably either 
you know, don't hydrate well, or you got a lot of crap in your water that's causing your skin to react poorly. And people are just blown away when they actually make a change in their water. And I usually tell people, if, if you're not going to get the benefits within two weeks, they're not going to come. My hair still hasn't grown back. Um, <laughs> I mean, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. You're going to know it within two weeks. And um, that's really where people are like, wow, I'm, I'm blown away instantly. But I'll tell you what, though, just in terms of maybe you don't hydrate well, when you have really good drinking water, you drink more water. Absolutely. It's like you want it more. Um, I know that I've I've always had an issue with that. I've had like a, um, an aversion to a lot of the drinking water, so I drank less. Um, it is 11.30, so we're going to do commercial break. Uh, when we get back from the break, we're going to take a couple calls here for Eric. I'm sure that you guys have some questions or maybe even want to contest something that he said today. That would be fun. So give us a call here. We're 543-8830. We'll be back after this short break with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Inflatable pool full of dad's hot air. Well, I was three years old, splashing everywhere, and so began 
We got a few more minutes here with Eric Ferrangi before we're going to let him get out of here and go enjoy Saturday. I'm sure you're going to go do something water-related, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess we all are. We're going to go drink it or sit in it or shower in it, clean with it, wash the car with it, something. It's so much a part of everyday life. If you guys want to ask any questions of Eric, you can, 543-8830. Um, we're only going to keep him around here for a few more minutes. So if you have any interest at all in talking to him, asking a question or sharing a concern, do so, 543-8830. What, uh, what final words of wisdom would you like to leave with our listeners? Final words of wisdom. I can tell you... Um, there have been a lot of really good recent studies done by a um, couple significant, I, I would say, um, research I don't know, research companies is their term, uh, nonprofit organizations that do funded research on water quality concerns. And a lot of the information had been kind of stale, like from the 70s. And so when I'd share studies with people, they'd say, oh, well, that's really old information. I don't know that that's relevant today. So about five years ago, they started doing new and new studies on like how are the effects of hard water, for example, on these new tankless water heaters. And if we look at energy costs, and that's really what a lot of us are looking at when we're investing in things for a home is how to save energy, how to save money. Um, the water heater is typically 20% of the entire energy we use in our home is just in heating water. And on these tankless heaters, it's great because you don't have to keep the water hot and store it. When you're ready to fire it on, it's, it's ready to go. A lot of people don't realize that when you have 9 to 12 grains of hardness in the water, it essentially creates a scale buildup inside your heat exchanger that lowers the efficiency. So you lose like 40% efficiency in your instant hot water heater um, because of the hard water. And with a lot of manufacturers, they actually void the warranty over between 9 and 12 grains of hardness. A lot of the water we deal with here on the Central Coast is on average 20 grains of hardness. So you're avoiding warranties on your dishwasher perhaps, your water heaters, and so on. Um, I got a fr I've got a couple people I know that work at uh, Ferguson's Plumbing Supply, and they're telling me that the uh, water heaters that they carried actually changed their warranty policy based on the water quality on the Central Coast. They're like, yeah, we got to change our warranty. This is not going to work. Wow. Because the their water heaters just aren't lasting. Wow. So that's a good one. If you get yourself some better water, then your appliances are going to last longer and your warranties are going to be honored. Exactly. And so really what I like to try to share with people is the chemical impact of our water, really we can't justify in a price. I can't say that it's going to save you any money to be healthier or have less chemical impact um, in your home. What I can share with you is the benefits of saving water from soft water will save you enough money that you can actually afford having a filtered water system for your entire home as long as you're looking at it as an investment for more than five years. Anybody that's short-term, um, let's say, military personnel, I do a lot of systems for them. I typically recommend that they rent it if they're going to be here for two years or less. Anytime you're here for five years or over, that's pretty much the break point where you're saying, man, I wish I'd bought this thing versus rented it. And I give people both options. So if I said, hey, um, if you could rent this thing or buy this thing for the same price, if we're talking a monthly payment, which would you rather do? And nine times out of ten, people say, well, I'd rather own it. 
So we give people options so they can do either. Some people like to start out with a rental program just to try it, make sure they like it. And as soon as they've decided, oh, okay, yeah, this is great, now we'll convert it to a purchase. So we give people a lot of options as far as how to get started with water because it is such a it is such a big um, important choice for people's homes. We don't want people to be worried about a choice that they make. And I always tell people, my goal is to, you know, help you sleep better at night, save you money, and have better peace of mind. If you're worried about, you know, which water system you get, or if you make the wrong choice, you're going to be stuck with it for the next ten years. You know, don't lose any sleep over it. I'm happy to rent it to you. Try it for as long as you want. As soon as you feel comfortable with the equipment and you want to own it, then I'm happy to convert you into a purchase. Nice. Hey, well, Eric, it's been great having you on the show today. I feel bad um, because this isn't enough time to talk about everything. I mean, there's so much more that there is to talk about, uh, but you're out of time, dude. You got to go. Awesome. Well, I can tell you this. I'm in the process right now of shooting a bunch of webinars that will go much more in depth with this information and people can uh, visit my website, log in and download at least a buyer's guide for water softeners. Anybody that downloads that, I'll start sending out information for invitations to my webinars so people can get the information they like or even ask the questions when they're ready. And the website is? www.slowwater.com, like San Luis Obispo Water. Yeah, okay. Um, so go to slowwater.com. Um, Eric's been blogging on our website. How often do you blog? Once a month right Once now? Once a month, yeah. You guys can go on there and check out the articles that he's written. This, The one that um, caused us to invite Eric on today was um, this recent one about the difference between the chlorine and the chloramines. Um, great read. I enjoy the style that you write. Um, I also just enjoy... Um, the way that you talk. It's it's great to have you on. Uh, we do have a phone call here um, real quick. We got Rick from Slow. Good morning. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Yeah, I just wanted to find out how much does it actually cost like, to either rent or buy a system like per month? If you're going to look at renting a filtration system, you're looking at about $35 a month. Uh-huh. And does that include also, um, do you use reverse osmosis as well or what? I also do reverse osmosis systems, yes. So typically, you'd be looking at about $25 to $30 a month on a reverse osmosis system for rental. And that's pretty standard with most systems out there. Um, I try to be real competitive uh, price-wise. But what most people don't realize is that most of the systems that people are getting as a rental are really old and really kind of junky. Um, Most of my rental systems that I put out there are either brand new or completely refurbished and are the highest quality. So the same system that I would sell, I would also install as a rental. So there's no there's no customers out there that said, all right, well, if you go with a lot of companies, if you rent the equipment, you're getting pretty much the junk that they've got in the back of the trunk um, versus buying something new, you're assumed that you're getting new equipment. All the equipment that I rent is very high quality. It's the same system that you get if you if you bought it from me. So altogether, it's, it's what, about 60 a month? Uh, that's where most people start if you're going to get a, a, a full house system with drinking and, and filter for the whole house, yeah. You say that's where they start. It goes up from there? It does for some people. So I didn't talk about water softeners, but it's just like anything else. You can you can go get everything or you can do just part of it. So some people start with just a drinking water system. Um, I would say the range of what people usually sign up with is anywhere between uh, 25 
to 100 bucks a month. And that's the same with pretty much any company out there. So if you get these exchange, these portable exchange tanks, I know uh, I did the math with Jason. He has spent, I think it was 80 bucks a month or something. Yeah. Um, plus tax. Yeah, and a gas surcharge and stuff like that. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's call it eighty to hundred bucks a month, with regardless of what company that you're going to get the system from. Um, the only difference is with ours, it's perfectly, um, I would say, good equipment. But more importantly, the equipment works consistently, and that's really, to me, the most important part is I want this thing to work consistently. I want it to work efficiently. I was at uh, lunch with a friend yesterday, and he's got a system that his landlord provides for him from Culligan. And he says, well, like when I fill up the, the dog's bowl, how much water does that actually waste to refill the water in that RO system? I said, well, if you pull out you know, a mason jar full of water, it's gonna take 22 mason jars full of water to recover that one mason jar full of water. And he was floored. He's like, I'm not gonna use my RO anymore. My water mm -hmm. bill's too high. So that's where a lot of people said, okay, well, maybe with the equipment that I have, um, they want to spend maybe a little bit more than they'd spend with a competitor, but my system's going to use 85% less water. So for people that see the value in the efficiency there, um, that's that's a huge selling point for my equipment. So, so you're, you're saying that uh, you have equipment other than reverse osmosis that, that does the job? No, I have a, a reverse osmosis system that's more efficient than oh, a I standard see. reverse osmosis unit. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you're going to get soft water and and the whole house filtering and the reverse osmosis it would be about a hundred a month exactly okay well that, that sounds uh comprehensible <laughs> and here's here's the thing that most people i mean i can throw out numbers all day long it's not like saying okay well you're going to sign up for cable and it's going to cost you a hundred bucks a month what you get with conditioned water is you get a huge offset in savings so if you look at the soap that you're spending every month most families of four will spend somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to $50 a month in soaps and cleaning products. If you have conditioned water, you'd spend like 10 to 12 bucks a month. So that $30 a month savings there essentially pays for the water softener itself. If you're buying bottled water and you're spending 15 to 20 bucks a month in bottled water, that pretty much pays for the convenience of a reverse osmosis system. The only thing that I can't cost justify is the filtration system. So you're gonna pay 35 bucks a month for peace of mind that you're not bathing in and exposing yourself to a bunch of weird chemicals. Now, I can't I can't say that that won't save you money in the long run. You know, obviously health care is expensive and people that get sick will tell you it, it puts you in the poorhouse. If we can, you know, do something to eliminate that, that's great, but that's not something I can actually uh, cost justify for people. But for the people that see it, it makes perfect sense. Does the whole house filtration system uh, purify the water enough that you don't need the reverse osmosis? In some areas, yes, but around here, I would say no. You still want the reverse osmosis. Uh-huh. Okay, well, thanks a lot. You're very welcome, Rick. All right, good info. Um, we'll have you back on, Eric. We'll have you back on, talk a little bit more about this stuff. I wish we had another hour and a half today, although, I, would, you know, maybe it gets boring to the people that are just okay with their water. Well, every every chance I get to get on the radio and talk to people is maybe another chance for people to, to change their mind on the water. And I can say I do a survey with everybody. Most people around here don't drink the tap water. So there's a very few people that actually do drink the tap water. And I don't know that you know, I don't know that I'm gonna change their mind on it. Maybe they just don't care and that's and that's their personal choice. Yeah. All right. So slowwater.com. Mm -hmm. And I can also be reached at 
Um, our office is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Thanks, Eric. Thanks a bunch. We really appreciate it. Guys, we're going to do a commercial break right here. When we get back, we'll have the closeout segment of Mortgage Matters. We do hope you'll stick with us. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, you guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Um, you know what's really cool is when you've been on the radio as long as we have, you develop a fan base. Oh, they're just And our fans gathering. are, they they love the show so much, they want to see us live doing our thing from outside. Yeah, I wasn't going to say this, but um, yeah, you can, you can come here and on the sidewalk outside, you got to look through two windows, but you'll see us in here. It's kind of like the Today Show. Yeah. They're out there just trying to be seen, waving. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a large crowd of people right now. It's pretty, yeah, it's fact, pretty awesome. I just had it's to humbling. Help, I had to help Eric out the back door because he just he didn't want to be mobbed. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are like the Al Roker of the weekends. Right. I was yeah, thinking the Beatles, but yeah, right. Today Show Al Roker. <laughs> there you go. 
There's a big difference. <laughs> That's a big difference. Oh boy. Um I it's I like the water thing. It's good to talk about. And you know, if nothing else to me, it really seems that um it is, I think, unfortunately, a luxury. If you really want like luxury water in your house, there's a cost to it. It's nice to know that it's available. I'm always a little bit bummed to know that the the water that we're getting contains things that we don't know about, contains things that we wish it didn't, um, all that kind of thing. But it, I'm just happy to know that there are, are options out there. And anybody that's interested in learning more about it, I would encourage you to, to reach out to Eric. He really... Um, is a wealth of knowledge and he's also just a very friendly guy so um, he can help you um, analyze what your needs are and and decide you know if there's something in there that's a good fit yeah it's a highly customizable system it sounds like any option that you want you can kind of plug and play and i think the best thing about eric is that he's a great listener and he understands what you want and need out of a system and will come up with the right formula for you if you want to just get a little taste of what eric's all about hopefully you heard him here today if not read what he offers up on our website on a monthly basis his articles are incredibly informative um, he has a real passion for what he does and you can see it um, both in a live interview and in the articles he writes it's it's great to see someone who really takes their work seriously like he does yeah um all right we threatened to talk some housing stuff at the closeout here of the show. And wouldn't you know it, I have some housing stuff that I'd like to talk about. Excellent. Made some headlines this week that um, data or data, how do you want to say it? Yeah, potato, I potato. Go, I usually go data. <laughs> data indicates that existing home purchases are flattening out ties in kind of nicely with the conversation we had last week with Wes on the show. And um, so this week we learned about the sales of previously owned homes. Now this is previously owned homes are tracked in a separate metric from new home sales. These are brand new, um, never lived in before homes. That's a new home. Previously owned homes or existing home sales um, this, this data is tracked separately. It fell for the second consecutive month. And this is where you should just be totally bummed out, right? I mean, that we're selling less homes, less than the previous month. The pace is slowing down. The, the graph is flattening. Um, now we know that there's a little more to it than just that. Um, home prices rose 12.8% year over year. Um, that's also part of this metric that came out. Um, the The annual pace of existing home sales fell by three point two, or fell three point two percent to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of five point one two million in October. So, still selling five point one two million homes in the month of October, down from five point two nine million in September. Um, Put it into context a little bit. It's still a 6% faster pace than it was a year ago. Um, and the only real thing that we have anybody saying here is that it just probably is a result of 
uh, the borrowers buying power sort of waning a little bit in light of interest rates creeping up ever so slightly. What it about also, just general lack of inventory? Lack of inventory was cited as well. So, um, you know, and, and it was the uh, economists from the National Association of Realtors said that building new homes is going to help in this metric because it, we need something. This lack of inventory creates this um, rapid appreciation, I want to call it. And I, I'm almost hesitant to say that 12%, 13% is rapid, but that's, that's high. Yeah. It's too high. In fact, it's dangerously high. So building some new homes just to slow down the appreciation. We don't want homes to be a commodity. Um, that's what causes bubbles. So, um, but yeah, they say it has something to do with not building enough homes and also interest rates creeping up ever so slightly. What's going on a little closer to home, you ask? Yes. <laughs> All right. Good question. Total number of homes sold in San Luis Obispo County, um, 323 homes sold last month, which was down 6%, 6.1% year over year. So from October 2012 to October 2013, a 6% decline in number of homes sold. Median home price, however, increased almost 21% in October uh, to 434,500. See, now median's a metric you got to slow down and, and, and analyze real quick. When Median is not average. Median is if you take the 100 transactions and you stack them up, this is like where the 50th, 51 numbers were, right? So um, to me, when you talk about the median going up by 22%, I feel like that means that um, it means that the a year ago, the entry-level homes were the ones that were moving a lot faster, more volume. They were going to be more likely to represent the middle of the road. Today, um, we see, we know that the upper end of the market and those move up buyers, those kinds of things are are having some good action in them. So, uh, but altogether, man, that's, that's good, right? Uh, statewide, similar numbers. We're seeing sales fall about 7% statewide. A uh, little over 36,000 units sold in the state of California last month. Um, and the median home price increased over 25% to 357000 So it seems like we've got a similar trend nationwide, statewide, and countywide that units have declined, median price has increased. To me, that talks about mix. And the mix is skewed to the higher-priced home now. I think what we've seen is just a decline in the number of Entry level units being sold. Yeah, that that's really what it boils down to. Well, and I think they were gobbled up. They they flew off the shelves when they were available. And some of those entry level homes were fixers that were made into a nicer home that's selling into a higher price range. I mean, that was that was all the craze, right? Because those entry level homes are, to me, there are a couple different um, demographics that are buying them. First time home buyers, right? They don't have a ton of savings. They're early in their career, so their incomes aren't, you know, the 20-year seasoned income level. Um, investors like to buy in the income or the uh, entry-level homes because that's where people rent. You could give affordable rents on a cheaper house. 
Um, so anyway, it, it's not surprising to, to see that that's kind of run its course. And um, tying it back a little bit to this, um, oh, what's the word? I'm not really sure where you're going there. Well, you're talking <laughs> you're talking about the lack of inventory, really. Yes. Um, and so that this all kind of ties in closely together. One of the other things that we learned this week was the National Associations of Home Builders came out, and um, this this is a confidence number basically about. Um, to give a little context as to what does it look like out there for um, the folks in the trades, um, they tie this back to, uh, so the sentiment was really the same from October um, to November, showing basically that um, the current interest rate and pricing environment says that consumers continue to show interest in purchasing new homes but maybe are holding back because Congress keeps pushing critical decisions on budget, tax, and government spending issues down the road. I thought that was kind of interesting. I'm not so sure that the average person shopping for a new home today, a brand new built home, is all too concerned about whether Congress balances the budget or not. But that, that, that at least was the statement that they put together um, the bottom line is <laughs> these things do have something to do with consumer confidence as well as um, an environment where there are rising construction costs. There are rising interest rates. Um, these are things these guys contend with. So altogether, solution is build more homes. That's what we should all be rooting for. We're winding down to the end of the show here. Just want to let you guys know that um, we offer residential financing for about every loan program you could come to think of. Um, we do all of the government programs. We do the conventional loan programs. We have um, lot and construction financing available. We've been doing a lot of loans for veterans. Um, just basically, if you have any kind of a housing need at all, I invite you to call us and let us give you a consultation um, you can reach us at the office. It's 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. Or you can find us on the web at centralcoastlending.com. Wish you guys all a happy Thanksgiving. Travel safe if you're traveling. We'll be back in two weeks with another live show. So we're going to rerun next week. But happy Thanksgiving. See you guys in two weeks. Thanks for listening.